You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, I've got an April special report that I am making available. You can go to requestyourreport.com to get your copy. The April report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollar, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities Strategies for a Crazy World. That is the April special report. It is available by visiting requestyourreport.com. All you'll need to do is let me know where you want that report mailed, and I'll be very glad to get it out to you uh, with no cost and with no future obligations. So again, the April special report, negotiating the quadruple threat, devaluing dollars, sinking stocks, bubbling bonds, and climbing commodities, strategies for a crazy world. And that report is yours by visiting requestyourreport.com. You know, on today's program, um, I'll be exploring this topic with my special guest as well. But I want to discuss an event that has recently taken place that's not been covered extensively, at least as far as I can tell. But this event that recently occurred has the power to change the way the world does a lot of its business. Now, here's why that could be a big deal for you. The rest of the world uses a lot of U.S. dollars in trade. Now, as I have discussed here on the program previously, there has been a gradual, ever-intensifying move away from the U.S. dollar over the past 20 years or so. And with this recent event, that movement away from the U.S. dollar will, without a doubt, strengthen. Well, by now you're probably wondering, what event am I talking about? Well, let me give you a quote from an article published on Fox Business on February 28th. And incidentally, these articles are sourced on the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website. All you need to do is go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Click on the weekly Portfolio Watch link, and uh, you'll find the links to these articles if you'd like to read them in their entirety. And I'd certainly encourage you to do that. This from the article, quote, The United States said it is blocking financial transactions of Russian central bank assets, effectively freezing any of those assets held by Americans. The freeze is effective immediately. A senior administration official said in a briefing to reporters on Monday, and again, this is a little over a month ago, the official said the U.S.'s actions are in conjunction and in cooperation with the European Union, Japan, the U.K., Canada, and others. This means that not only will Russia not be able to access funds in U.S. dollars, they will be unable to use dollars in other countries Uh, as well. So essentially, this move was designed, or the, the strategy behind this, according to the official speaking to reporters, is to, quote, make sure the Russian economy goes backward as long as President Putin decides to go forward with his campaign. Now, the scope of this program is not to dig into geopolitical events uh, in detail, However, we do want to talk about geopolitical events. We do want to talk about military actions as it may relate to you planning 
for your retirement. So let me look at it from that, what I hope is a unique perspective. Now, as you might expect, Russia fought back. Russia is now demanding payment for its vast natural resource exports in either gold or rubles. That means any of the rest of the world that does business with Russia will have to have rubles rather than U.S. dollars. Now, David Kranzler, who is an analyst and economic writer whose work I've discussed previously here on the program, recently wrote a very interesting piece. It was titled, Did Russia Intentionally Trigger a Monetary System Reset? It's an extremely thought-provoking article, and again, you'll find a link to this article at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. I'd encourage you to go check it out. Here's a bit from Mr. Kranzler's article. Fiat currency is a promise to repay a debt obligation and nothing more. A fiat currency is really currency by decree. It's, it's, it's currency because the government says it is legal tender for all debts, public and private. However, it's not actually backed by anything tangible. Kranzler says, by contrast, a hard asset-backed currency is a guarantee that payment will occur. You're going to get something of value rather than just a piece of paper or a digital entry on a ledger. On March 7, so keep in mind this is a week after the Fox Business article that I just spoke about, Zoltan Pozar. Now, Mr. Pozar formerly worked at the New York Federal Reserve He was an advisor at the U.S. Treasury, and he's currently a strategist at Credit Suisse. Well, he published a research report titled Bretton Woods 3 that Mr. Kranzler references in his piece. Now, Bretton Woods 1, to use that terminology, occurred back in 1944, and that's when the U.S. dollar actually became the world reserve currency, Because any entity holding U.S. dollars could redeem them for gold at a rate of $35 per ounce. The dollar was literally as good as gold because if you were a foreign entity holding U.S. dollars, you could exchange those dollars at a rate of $35 an ounce for gold. That was Bretton Woods 1. Now, Mr. Posar said that Bretton Woods 2 occurred when the dollar became a fiat currency. Now, that happened in 1971 when Richard Nixon temporarily eliminated the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold. At least that's what he alleged in his speech. And ultimately, these temporary redemptions, as we all know, became permanent. So the dollar since 1971 has been a fiat currency. Now, with this development... Posar says that we are now looking at Bretton Woods 3. Now let me go back and give you a bit from Mr. Kranzler's article once again. He, referring to Posar's piece, said that Posar makes the case that this latest development, which he called Bretton Woods 3, is a reversion back to a monetary system in which currency is backed by commodities as opposed to being backed by a sovereign issuer's full faith and credit. 
The post-1971 fiat currency reserve banking system enabled by the removal of gold from the monetary system is nothing more than a Ponzi scheme. Those are Kranzler's words, and I would agree. Inside money refers to the interbank repo lending mechanism from which the fractional bank reserve monetary system blossoms. So inside money, according to Pozar, is created by the central bank. And in a fractional reserve banking system, as money is loaned, more money is created. And the outside money is backed by something tangible. So Pozar said Bretton Woods 3 means that now outside money is becoming once again, in favor. He refers to outside money as something called commodities collateral. It's backed by something tangible rather than the full faith and credit of the issuer. Now, Kranzler says, in periods of banking crises, banks are reluctant to participate in the inside game. And he references 2008, which, of course, is the financial crisis, and 2019, because at that point in time, they don't trust the fiat currency collateral on which the fractional reserve banking system is predicated, and thus, they're reluctant to lend money to their banking peers. And every time this occurs, every time they lose trust in this inside money system, the central banks have to print more currency to lubricate the system enough so that it functions. This action ironically, further devalues the inside money on which this entire system is based. On the other hand, Kranzler said, if currency is issued by governments and and printed by central banks is backed by hard assets, this problem is avoided. In this system, the counterparty to trade or financing transactions would have the option of demanding payment in the hard asset or assets. Fiat currency is nothing more than unsecured debt where commodity-backed or backed currency obviously eliminates all that counterparty risk. Now, Kranzler makes an interesting observation, and I'll talk about this more in the last segment of today's program. Kranzler said that it's likely that Putin knew ahead of time that the West's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine would be to freeze Russian currency reserves held at Western central banks. Of course, this response by the U.S. brought to light the inherent Achilles heel of the modern central bank fiat currency reserve system. Any country that keeps currency reserves for trade settlement purposes at foreign central banks, specifically the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, is now at risk of having those reserves confiscated. We have now set a precedent. Russia, in response, is now demanding payment for energy in rubles for what they consider to be unfriendly companies, and that countries rather, and that has really strengthened the ruble significantly, and I'll talk more about that in the last segment of today's program. As we go to the break, let me remind you, if you're just joining me, the April 2022 special report is negotiating the quadruple threat, devaluing, do- devaluing dollars, sinking stocks, bubbling bonds, and climbing commodity strategies for a crazy world. 
be glad to send you a copy of the report. You just need to visit requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host, and joining me on today's program is uh, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more about Gold Money at goldmoney.com. And uh, Alistair is a prolific author and commentator. You'll find his work on the Insights section of the website. I go there frequently and encourage you to do so as well. Uh, Alistair, welcome back to the program. That's my pleasure, Dennis. Well, let, let's just jump right in, Alistair. As we as we talked, we, we're, we're living in a world that uh, certainly is not boring. Um, there is a lot going on from a currency perspective as it relates to the Russia-Ukraine situation, and I'd like to focus there in our interview today, if we could. Um, and I think uh, just to use this as a jumping-off point, and you can go any direction you'd like, it seems that... Uh, uh, and I'd like your opinion. Did, did the U.S. and did, the, did they make a policy blunder when they seized uh, Russian assets here in the U.S.? Uh, yes, I think I think they have in the in in the sense that um, it's not just a simple matter of sanctioning the Russians. I mean, the problem is that uh, America is leading the sanctions regime against uh, probably the most important. Um, exporter of uh, commodities generally, and certainly the largest exporter of energy in the world. Now, you don't do that without having repercussions. And I think that's basically what we're seeing. Um, We've seen commodity prices rise fairly sharply, and particularly the price of oil, which at one stage got up close to $130 a barrel, but it's backed off about 30% from that now. And natural gas has also rocketed. the prices have sort of, you know, they're pausing, I would say. Um, but it does look to me as if um, they are set to go higher, uh, which, of course, is very, very painful for uh, particularly the European partners in this um, Western alliance against Russia. So the answer, uh, basically, Dennis, is yes, there are some very um, uh, unpleasant repercussions from, from the action. You know, uh, let, let's talk about now what, uh, if you could, just for our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with this, could you just briefly talk about uh, Russia's, Russia's reaction to the sanctions and these actions? Yes. Um, Ru- Russia has basically um, done two things. The first thing that the central bank has done, the Russian central bank, is that it has, it's, it's said that between now and uh, the middle of the year, the end of June, it, it stands prepared to buy gold at 5,000 rubles uh, a gram. Now, uh, that at the current ruble rate, which is a little below 80 to the dollar, uh, effectively means that they're buying gold. They're prepared to buy gold from their own banks, what they call credit institutions in Russia, at a price of around about $1,950. So that's a little bit above where we are now. Um, I'll just continue with that for a moment before coming on to the other announcement. Um, The importance of this is that there is no restriction at all on a Russian bank, say, trying to do an arbitrage. A Russian bank could either go and deal uh, in Shanghai or alternatively could deal, say, in somewhere like Dubai, buy gold and do the arbitrage into uh, the Russian central bank. Now, obviously, the exchange rate is the important thing, the, the, the exchange rate between the dollar and the ruble. Um, 
The other thing that's important, of course, is that the Russian bank doing that has to have access to um, non-ruble currencies, I mean predominantly dollars, in order to do it. Um, the Gazprom Bank, which is the banking arm of the big energy company in Russia, uh, has not been sanctioned. And I can see it uh, taking advantage of this, perhaps, uh, which would have the effect of uh, draining um, uh, uh, physical gold out of really a very illiquid market in the West. So that's, that's the first point. The second point is that Russia has insisted that um, anyone on the unfriendlies list, in other words, um, those who are sanctioning Russia, um, would have to pay for their energy in rubles. Now, there are not a huge amount of rubles out of circulation, uh, sorry, um, outside Russia, circulating outside Russia. So this is obviously going to create something of a shortage of rubles. But having said that, the choice for the EU, which in some cases, some of the nations rely for up to 40% of their natural gas from Russian sources, uh, they can either get the rubles and get gas at a reasonable price, or alternatively, if they decide that they're not going to buy rubles, not play Russia's game, then they'll just have to take their chances on the international market. And that is likely to drive the price quite a lot higher. So this is really, I think, as far as Russia is concerned, a bit of a win-win, as it were. But there is another important point about it, because if you put these two things together, effectively, the link with gold uh, ties the ruble, um, loosely, admittedly, to uh, commodities, uh, and particularly energy, um, rather than, let us say, just operating as a purely volatile fiat currency. Um, liable to sanctions from the West. So um, Russia, in currency terms, from these two announcements, is actually going in a completely different direction from that of, uh, of the dollar, the euro, the yen, which basically are committed to expanding the quantity of currency in circulation uh, so that everybody can buy anything they want at whatever the price might be. And this is why uh, the currencies are being debased in the West. So what we see is that from these two announcements, Russia is, um, uh, if you like, protecting itself from the currency debasement, which looks like accelerating in the West as a result of these sanctions. Alistair, in the past, when we have chatted, and it's been since December now, so about five months or so, uh, you've talked about the fact that, you know, a hyperinflationary environment certainly would be something that, you know, we, we might expect here in the West. Um, is this the first step or is this a catalyst toward that outcome? It's very much a catalyst towards it. And uh, it, it's accelerating the process of so that. Uh, there can be no doubt. The interesting um, thing to look at is the situation in Japan. Uh, the Japanese um, currency um, is really falling quite rapidly against the dollar. Uh, and uh, this is very much in contrast with uh, the, what are now becoming commodity-backed currencies, such as the Chinese renminbi, which is actually increasing against the dollar. Uh, the, the problem that the Japanese have is that the central bank has anchored its interest rates below the zero bound. It is 
got a huge great portfolio on board. I mean, this is the central bank of uh, uh, JGBs, which are Japanese government bonds, corporate bonds, and even equities. I mean, they've got, they've got um, substantial quantities of equities. They have been doing this since the year 2000. Now, what this means is that this central bank, which amounts to an enormous hedge fund, is rapidly going underwater when we see rising bond yields driving down the prices of the bonds in their portfolios. So we have a situation where um, they can't afford to raise interest rates. They cannot afford to see higher Japanese government bond yields. And they are stepping in to ensure that the 10-year JGB uh, bond yield doesn't go over a quarter of a percent. Uh, So, I mean, they're just buying anything they can just to stop these prices falling. Now, this is against a background of uh, um, price inflation at the consumer level, which all around the world is just um, through the roof. And obviously, it's a completely untenable situation. So what it amounts to is that Japan is already sacrificing its currency in order to protect its financial system. And the other thing is this comes at a time when the Japanese uh, um, uh, large banks in Japan are very, very highly leveraged. The ratio of their assets to equity in in all cases is over 20 times. We have a similar situation in the eurozone. Now, the euro euro has been in a bear market against the dollar for a little while, so uh, that's that's um, it hasn't been quite so dramatic, but I think it's only a matter of time before exactly the same dynamics start undermining the euro. So in that sense, Dennis, going back to your comment about um, where are we in this hyperinflation story, we can begin to see this uh, unraveling, particularly in the case of the yen. And I think we'll also see it in the case of the euro. And then it's likely to affect the rest of us. Well, Alistair, we have about a minute left in this segment, a little over a minute. Uh, would you share with the listeners a bit about gold money? Yes, sure. I mean, gold money was established um, by James Turk oh, way back in, I think, 2002, roughly, uh, to provide a safe haven for people um, wanting to own true money, which is gold and silver, um, have it vaulted um, a number of places around the world on a custodial basis. That's what we do. Um, We have, I think, about 11 or 12 volts all around the world. So you can select your, you know, wherever you are, you can select something maybe which is slightly away from your government just to make it a little harder for them if they want to come for your gold. And um, uh, it's, you know, we just act purely as custodians. We're outside the banking system. So if we have a banking crisis, we're not affected. Um, and uh, it's a pretty popular service, I'm, I'm glad to say. And I think anyone who's uh, concerned about having all their interests in this fiat currency world, it is extremely important to consider uh, whether or not they should uh, hedge all that risk by having some gold, some silver stored in a safe location. Well, that's uh, perfect timing. The clock says we need to leave it there, but the good news is I will be back for one more segment with Mr. Alistair McLeod. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to RLA Radio. I'm chatting today with the head of research at Gold Money, returning guest Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, Alistair is a prolific author and commentator, a very bright guy. I would encourage you to check out all his work at goldmoney.com. 
and you can go to the insights section. So, Alistair, let's just briefly um, kind of summarize what we talked about in the in the last segment uh, with with uh, now Russia's action here. And uh, is this the beginning of, of a quasi gold standard now that uh, you know Russia's got this fixed rate at which they will buy gold? Well, it's very interesting because this isn't, if you like, a traditional uh, gold standard where, you know, you could walk into, say, the Fed or the Bank of England and say, I've got these notes. I don't want them. I want gold on the, you know, because um, the, the, the exchange rate is $35 an ounce or whatever. I want I want an ounce for every $35. Yeah, but that's how it used to be. And uh, the central bank was obliged to give you um, uh, uh, gold for gold coin for dollars. Um, actually, I think in the case of America, it's twenty point six seven because at thirty five dollars you weren't allowed to exchange it. Anyway, this is very very different. I think what Russia is doing is that it is tying its currency effectively to the world of commodities. I, I'm just saying this very very loosely because it is a very loose tie. They are doing this, I think, through gold in a sense, um, because uh, by saying that they will, ex they, they will buy gold at 5,000 rubles uh, per gram, um, that is only true up until the middle of this year. They will then revise the price at that point. I mean, for all we may know, they may stop doing it. But I think we can assume that they will revise the price because that's roughly what uh, the statement from the central bank said. Um, so this is, if you like, rather like a floating peg. Now, this does make sense because there is so much violence in the world of currencies at the moment being unleashed. I mean, in the last segment, I talked about the situation for the Japanese yen and also the euro. And um, if they fall over, I mean, you know, God help the rest of us. This is, this is um, uh, you know, not just a banking crisis in the making. It is also a major fiat currency crisis. And there are likely to be fiat currencies that are not going to survive. So in that sort of environment, I mean, the Russians clearly know what they're doing. They want the flexibility to deal with, if you like, the blowback from what's going on in what I can only describe as almost, uh, well, a currency war of almost nuclear proportions. Alistair, you know, when you look at the, the use of the dollar as uh, still the primary currency used in international trade, uh, how does this development um, affect the dollar's dominance in your view? Well, it is fascinating. We have um, in the world today, the world of, of, of currencies is essentially a world which revolves around uh, collateral, which is financial in in character. So, you know, if you go to a bank and you want to borrow money, basically, um, I mean, okay, you, you know, it, it could be a mortgage on your house, but uh, very often, I mean, what the bank is really relying on is uh, some sort of collateral in the form of, let's say, bonds or equities or something like that against which they will offer a loan. So the, the, commodity, the, the currency situation is effectively backed by financial assets. We are... Um, at the end, I believe this is very much the end of a major financial bubble, the scope of which we haven't seen on a global scale before. I mean, we've had things like the Mississippi bubble in France. We've had uh, the South Sea bubble in England. We've had the tulip bubble in Amsterdam. But these are um, almost sort of local bubbles, as it were. But this is a global one. This is truly global. Uh, and what we're seeing now is the 
purchasing power of currencies is diminishing at quite a significant rate, which means that interest rates will not go up just 2%, 3%, but they're going to go up a lot, lot more. And that, of course, is going to burst the bubble, not just of bonds, which has already started, but also of equities. So we're transitioning, I think, from that currency world into a new currency world where the collateral is effectively commodities. And I think that Russia and China are basically leading the way in that direction. So it's a, it's a very, very interesting point, if you like, in, in, in economic uh, history uh, that, we, that we're actually sitting at at the moment, this transition from, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, collateral being essentially financial in, in nature um, on the back of a bubble uh, and moving into uh, collateral being only commodities. Now, if obviously, the whole world doesn't work just on commodities, but there will be a lot of uh, wealth destruction, I think, as uh, the bubble in the West pops. And that's going to be the transition which we're really looking at, I think, over the next year or two. So, Alistair, when you say the the, the bubble will pop, I uh, the, the first word that pops, you know, the, the 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 thought is that as as bubbles pop, that is a deflationary event, and uh, currency creation is an inflationary event. Uh, so, are, could you envision a scenario where we see? asset prices like stocks and bonds fall while consumer prices continue to rise? Uh, yes, I certainly can. Um, the, I mean, let, let's look at just one narrow aspect of consumer prices, uh, and that's food. This year, we're likely to see uh, developing shortages of foodstuffs uh, because of uh, the situation in the Ukraine in particular. Ukraine is the bed is the breadbasket of Europe. It supplies an awful lot of grain and fertilizer to the rest of the world, which when withdrawn, not only forces up prices, but also means that the productivity of farms outside the region will also be severely affected by the rising cost of fertilizers. So we're going to see prices rise, if you like. Um, and financing that rise will be further production of currency. So that to me is absolutely clear. This idea of tying together um, what is happening to the debasement of a currency with financial asset prices gets it all wrong. The problem that uh, financial asset prices are going to have to surmount is how do you retain value in, let's say, um, a stock, if you like, when interest rates are rising through the roof. As I said earlier, not just 2%, 3%, but it is becoming possible to envisage interest rates going over 10% just by looking at what's going on to prices in commodities and how that is feeding through in terms of production costs and all the rest of it. So um, I, d I think it's always a mistake to think in terms of that sort of black and white, which is really a Keynesian approach, um, has been disproved so often. And, and also, if you look back at what happened, say, in Germany in 1923, you had the collapse of the currency, the paper mark. Interest rates, goodness knows where they were. I mean, if you could borrow money, it would have been at ridiculously high interest rates. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, what happens to stocks and things like that. Well, I mean, the, any value that was there was basically because uh, you had an alternative to dealing in the paper market. People were buying, um, they were buying things using foreign currencies. So, but this time, you know, you know we just don't really see where that alternative is going to come from. So, Alistair, when you look at, you know, when you, when you were uh, describing that scenario, one of the thoughts I had was that, you know, this, this really is going to force governments around the world to come a lot closer getting, to getting their financial houses in order, and that's going to be extremely painful for the populace. Uh, w- would you agree with that thought? I would certainly agree with this, and um, I don't think it's quite as simple um, as we would like to think because uh, Western governments have mandated costs which they can't avoid without changing laws and those mandated costs i mean in america we've heard about all you know medicare and all this sort of stuff which is just going through the roof cost wise we've got the same thing here with the national health service uh, how does the government back out of those responsibilities it needs to change the law in order to do so so um i just can't see how they can they, they can deal with this the only the only um thing that uh, a democratic country in this situation can do is just you know print 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 i mean get the central bank to buy however much debt at whatever interest rate it is in order to finance these government obligations but but that i mean that, that that's a that that's got an end game right alistair so i mean that that can't happen that that can't go on for a long time that's going to be just uh, like like putting the proverbial finger in the dike before everything blows correct Absolutely right. And uh, I mean, the point behind that, Dennis, is that uh, you're destroying your currency. And that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing it. I mean, we're we're beginning to see evidence of the currency sliding in the Japanese yen. And um, I mean, we haven't seen it so obviously in the euro. But remember that the euro has declined against the dollar from what something like 130 down to currently 108. Um, You know, so that's that's not exactly performing well. And uh, we're measuring the euro in this case against um, a paper currency, which I wouldn't say is the most secure thing, uh, yardstick to measure anything against. So ultimately, and we've got about a minute and a half left in this segment, um, do we does the world experience an environment similar to the 1930s or is it going to be worse this time? Uh, It's a difficult question to say. I mean, it's obviously different because in the 1930s, we had sound money. So that uh, the Wall Street crash, which was really brought about by the end of bank credit expansion uh, in 1928, 1929, um, is a similar situation. But the pricing of it is looking very, very different. Here we're pricing everything in fiat currency. So uh, what happens this time is that instead of everybody suffering, if you like, from um, the deflation of prices, as uh, economists like to call it, um, but which really was, you know, real prices uh, in, in, in gold, this time uh, we will see prices being maintained, prices in fact rising in the same situation because the currencies will be depreciating more rapidly than the... Than, um, you, you, you know, the, 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 the loss, if you like, in, in real terms uh, represented by, uh, you know, the prices of goods and ser- the values of goods and services. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, you can check out his work at goldmoney.com. I would certainly encourage you to do that. 
Alistair, never have enough time when I talk to you, but I always appreciate catching up with you, and I know my audience appreciates your perspective as well. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Dennis. Thank you. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, in the first segment of today's program, I talked a bit about something that Zoltan Pozar calls Bretton Woods Three, and it may be the beginning of a shift toward a quasi-gold standard, or maybe even a full gold standard as it comes to currency. Now, this development ultimately will likely mean more inflation in the near term and more devaluation for reasons that I will once again outline in this segment. That's a reason you should get the April 2022 special report. If you're just joining me, the April special report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollars, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities, Strategies for a Crazy World. I'd be glad to send you a copy of the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail the report, and I'll be very glad to do that. Now, in the first segment of today's program, I talked about the fact that in this article that Zoltan Pozar wrote, and incidentally, for listeners that maybe weren't with us for that first segment, uh, Pozar worked at the New York Federal Reserve, was an advisor for the U.S. Treasury, and is currently a strategist at Credit Suisse. And he, back on March 7, released a report titled Bretton Woods 3. And in it, he talked about the fact that Bretton Woods 1 occurred when the dollar was tied to gold back in 1944. He then dubbed Nixon eliminating the link between the dollar and gold in 1971 as Bretton Woods 2. That led to uh, the dollar being a fiat currency. And now he suggests that currencies are once again changing. And that's something that we have been talking about here on the program for quite a long time. Now, in the article, Pozar describes something called inside money. And he compares that to outside money. Inside money is the money created by the central bank. Through fractional reserve banking, this fiat currency can take $1 of reserve currency and turn it into nine more dollars. And of course, inside money is not backed by anything other than the full faith and credit of the issuing entity. On the other hand, outside money is commodities collateral. It has a link to something tangible or is backed by something tangible, which mitigates this counterparty risk. Now, I talked about in the first segment that in periods of crises, banks are reluctant to loan money to other banks. It happened in 2008. It happened in 2019. And when that happens, central banks have no choice but to create more currency so that the system will function. That further devalues the inside money. Now, getting back to how this affects you, any country now that keeps currency reserves for trade settlement purposes at foreign central banks, specifically the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, is now, based on the fact that Russian assets were seized, is now at risk of having those reserves confiscated. Well, Russia responded by saying, okay, if you want to buy energy from us, if you want to buy anything from us, you have to have rubles or 
will take gold. They're not going to take inside money anymore. If you are an unfriendly country and you want to buy oil or gas from Russia, you'll need to either, one, demonstrate that the gold you're using for trade actually exists and transfer the ownership rights to Russia, or you've got to have rubles. Russia is going to likely demand, according to Pozar, repatriation of the gold. They want to take possession because the U.S. and the G7 made it crystal clear with their recent actions that possession of assets is 100% of the law. Now, Pozar said that the response by the, re- by the West, led by the United States and its control of the global reserve currency, in all likelihood has triggered a reset of the global monetary system. Regardless, Mr. Kranzler writes, it appears that now Russia, likely with China's support, has set in motion a global monetary system reset. A new system, uh, in the new system, countries which supply the world with goods that have price inelasticity of demand will have the power to enforce trade settlement in hard currencies. So what, what is this going to do? How are you going to be affected? This is a bit technical. Well, the bottom line is there will be fewer reasons to inventory dollars by many countries around the world. When you take a look at China, for example, what does China want to do? Do they want to sell U.S. Treasury bonds? Do they want to, do they want to get rid of U.S. dollars and convert them into something they can do use to do business with Russia? Or are they going to do its own quantitative easing? Well, either way, I think we're going to see higher yields and we're likely going to see higher inflation moving ahead. So this certainly makes the case for non-U.S. dollar-denominated assets in your portfolio. There are many ways to do that. One way is to own gold or silver. Now, our April special report will certainly give you some ideas As to how to do that, uh, you don't want to just go out and buy any gold or silver. There is a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Our April special report will give you some ideas. The April special report is titled Negotiating the Quadruple Threat, Devaluing Dollars, Sinking Stocks, Bubbling Bonds, and Climbing Commodities, Strategies for a Crazy World. To get your copy of the report, visit requestyourreport.com. Again, requestyourreport.com. Also, if you're not taking advantage of our resources at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, you can get the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter there. You can sign up. It is a free subscription. Uh, My weekly headline roundup uh, newscast is also archived there. You can go there and view those. And uh, you'll also be able to access the podcast version of this radio program. So, again, that's all at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week.